Welcome to The Effect Podcast, Season 3, Episode 15, Expansion is Life. I'm Dave, and actually I'm slightly sad as well, because that's the last time we're going to be saying Season 3, Episode whatever, because we've decided that because it's our anniversary next time, uh, three years we'll have been podcasting, um, we are going to scrap the season thing, because it makes no difference, (laughs) it was just charting the years. And we're going to go back to just numbering by the episode number. So anyway, bye-bye, season three, episode whatever. Hello, episode 130-something. It'll be next time. Anyway, I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. <laughs> sorry, about, um, sorry about that. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So uh, that, that threw me a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I mean, the key thing is, of course, when we started the podcast, we there is a methodology to number it by seasons but we didn't do that originally and um we are with the with the actual play podcast each each story is a separate season so that does use season numbering but you know we're just making the season numbers up yes. and frankly getting a bit confused with them ourselves um <laughs> it's not difficult so to just do frankly. season numbers yeah this is a season three episode 15 or episode 136 and next time it will be episode 137 Cool. Let's do that. I agree. Good. Uh, I should tell you what's happening in this episode, yes, though, anyway, as well, yes. at first hand. Um, we're going to be saying thank you to a new patron that has joined our merry gang, our 25th patron. Uh, we're going to be talking in the world of gaming about our patron-exclusive COVID con that we ran last week mm-hmm. and um, and some other gaming news, as usual. You have got the thing that you promised our listeners last time, which is the third. And is this the final part of your uh, colony, alien colony expansion? I think it probably is. Word? Probably is for now. Um, there's there's bound to be more stuff I could talk about, but we've got limited airtime, and we talk along at time enough anyway. So I and we've got lots of games to cover. Yeah. So I, I think I'll pause it yeah. there unless we get any feedback. Uh, that anyone wants to hear more uh, or until I come up to the point where I just can't help myself and I'm deter- you know, desperate to talk about it again. <laughs> and do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. And talking of talking of lots of games to cover, we have got a wide-ranging interview with Thomas and Matthias from Free League. So that's the big focus of this week's episode. And then um, we've been challenged that we haven't quite done our homework in the past and well, so, you, you uh, revelation the game. You haven't done your homework. Oh, I haven't. I haven't. Okay, <laughs> I haven't done my homework. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. You said you did it, but it, but frankly, the examining board thought your homework was pretty <laughs> atrocious on the consortium and the free league. Well, it, so it, it, I'm going to have to do it again. It was a, it was a sub question of a much bigger question, which I've done far too much on anyway. So. Uh, <laughs> Yes. So, yeah. So, we're looking at the consortium to round this episode out. Um, Let's start off, though. But it's going to be a long one. New patron. Go on, then. (laughs) So, our new patron is. Yeah, you don't even know who our new patron is. Uh, Well, I do, actually. (laughs) Patron. Okay. Tell me. Tell me who you think our new patron is, Dave. Welcome to. You're so clever. I am so clever. Uh, Unless you've given me false information, that is. Eric Brimstein, welcome. Welcome to uh, our patron, and thank you so much for joining us and supporting us. Absolutely great to have you on board. 
And Eric is uh, quite a prolific contributor to a lot of the forums. You'll find him on, well, now you'll find him, of course, on our podcast, um, Patreon-exclusive Discord, but he's on the big uh, Free League Year Zero uh, Discord. He's on Free League's um, uh, forum as Ebrim. So welcome, Eric. Uh, we're, we're glad to have you on board. Yep, delighted. Um, so World of Gaming, what are we talking about in the World of Gaming? Uh, well, I mean, the world of gaming in the weird world that we are currently existing in, um, you know, Easter in lockdown and all that, um, COVIDCon, although I think if we run it again, we might not want to call it COVIDCon, because that might have the wrong connotations. But we ran a, yeah, yeah. a, a little online... As the deaths mount up, it may be a bit bad taste. It is, yeah. Um, but we ran a little convention online for our patrons, which was uh, Easter... Was it Easter weekend? We, no, we avoided we, Easter weekend. It was the weekend before yeah. Easter. Um, and we ran, in the end, I think we ran five games over that weekend. We had Coriolis, we had Alien. I ran an Alien game. Um, mm. uh, Simbaroon. I ran Vason. Vason. And um, what was the one on the Saturday evening that I couldn't make? The uh, uh, Red Market yes. that Toby ran. Yeah. Toby from RPG's Logic podcast. So um, That was great. I really enjoyed that. Um uh, but it was only two players, and there were too many zombies and uh, other things. I would very much like to have joined that, but it was just a bit difficult on uh, on that evening for me to find a time. We had yeah. a great we had it, a great time, it, and for me, it was um, not only was it great to actually get to chat face to face with uh, you know, a lot of the patrons that we hadn't spoken to before. Uh, it kind of I've refound my enjoyment in online gaming because I. I, we we did try it before um, using Hangouts, I think, wasn't it? And it was it was fine, and I quite enjoyed it, but it wasn't it wasn't the experience I was I was wanting. Um, we now use Zoom, which is fairly basic and straightforward. But I've really enjoyed it again. It's it, in in small two or three hour chunks. It's uh, it's been really really good fun, and I'm you know I guess if there's a silver lining coming out of all this horrible situation for me then it's that um, I am still getting to talk to a lot of fabulous people and game with some lovely guys and girls, thanks to being forced to go online to play. Yeah, and it's quite interesting that that, that forcing us online, we've actually, and well, possibly because also we're forced to have more time, um, mm. we've, we've played more games than we would normally get around to playing. Yeah. So, um, you know, our... Uh, we try and have a monthly session, you, me, Tony and Andy, as our home game. Andy Andy can't join in, but um, you, me and Tony are now having a weekly session. Yeah. Uh, my weekly gaming group at the local shop has become a weekly gaming group online. And then we did things like COVIDCon. So we had a whole weekend of gaming um, uh, with all sorts of, as you say, getting to meet new people online as well among our patrons and play new games like Red Market. Mm. So um, it, you're right. It's not the same as the face-to-face -face experience. It has a different quality to it, but it's a different quality. It's not worse. Yeah, it's like you say, it's just different. And you have to accept that difference. Um, yeah, yeah. I, th I think I'll always prefer to be around the table physically with with players because it's, it's just that much more interactive. But this has proved to be really pretty good actually and it's it hasn't uh yeah you know, it had some really good times and and yeah yeah i think uh you're thinking about running a game monthly for our patrons or for some of our patrons 
Yeah, well, I'm, we, we were talking about it and everyone enjoyed it so much. And I, I think I rather foolishly said, yay, I'll run something. <laughs> you know, <laughs> You're having second um, thoughts about running a game. I'm, I'm not having second thoughts. Say, I'm, just try, I'm just trying to, I'm having third thoughts about where I fit in the time to actually prepare it and make it so it's a good game. But I'll definitely do mm. that. So I'm going to run uh, a thing is from the flood, which I think is a uh, chronically underappreciated game because it's been so cast into the shadow by all the other great stuff that Free League has done. Um, so I think it's a game that really deserves to be pulled out into the light a little bit. So I'm going to probably try and do a three scenario campaign for that, run it over the next three months for four or five players. I don't really want more than that. It gets quite difficult online if you get more than four, I think. Mm. Um, and yeah, see where it goes. I'm hopefully encouraging some of the other patrons and people like yourself, Matt, to maybe you know mm-hmm. follow, do the same. Because you've got a lot of patrons. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I was thinking if oh. if a monthly game is is too long, is too much for you, then you know we can share the load. Yeah, load, maybe. And I think if we could um, get two or three people wanting to run a game monthly, then great, all our patrons will get a get a look in, hopefully. But that would be good fun. So so I'm, and I'm and I'm really interested and keen to run things from the flood with a with a darker edge to it. Um, I think I'm going to go dark, not as dark as Cult. <laughs> we talked about that before, um, or as dark as the um, the infamous thing. No, it won't be. At, uh, won't be UK like Games Expo. It won't <laughs> be like that. No, no, that's for sh- that's for sure as sure as eggs as eggs. It won't be like that. Um, uh, but it's great, and and I know there's lots of other ways of of doing online gaming. So we use Zoom. We have been um, publishing that and streaming that on our YouTube channel. Um, the Effect YouTube channel. So, if you're interested to look at any of those games, go and have uh, searches out on there. And I know Matthew, you've got a particular um, plea, haven't you, to anybody who's interested? Yeah. So, uh, obviously, if you want to find our YouTube channel, uh, obviously you'll probably go to Google or some search engine of your choice and tap Effect with a K YouTube channel or something like that in and um, you'll find it quite difficult to spot us and I've been working out why it's so difficult to spot us and partly Dave it's because you've made so many brilliant um, guest appearances on Victory Condition Gaming's Uh channel and they've got lots of followers so they seem to go way up the uh, the list so if you type effect in you get to see Victory Condition Gaming but part of the reason is we don't yet have a sort of um, URL that mentions effect. And we don't get to claim one of those until we've got 100 followers. Mm. Now, this this whole YouTube thing is a bit of a byproduct of our usual gaming. It's not like we're turning into Critical Role or anything like that. No. This is just, um, as you said before we started, actually, you know, it is just bunch of old blokes and girls um, getting together and having a game and you just happen to be peeking in because we're doing it online so why uh, why not stream it yeah it's not high production values um fancy fancy frames around everything or anything like that uh, but if we could get a few more followers in fact 37 at the last game <laughs> more followers um then we hit 100 followers and we can make it easier for everybody to find us so yeah. if you're thinking about um, watching one of our games, do us a favour and subscribe to the channel as well. And then um, we're well on the way to making it easier to find yeah. and possibly even making it better, <laughs> if that's what our viewers really want. Yeah, I think that's probably um, quite... We've had some really... 
We've had some really nice comments though about your the alien game that you ran, oh, cool. uh, the Vesson game that I ran. Um, you know, people are appreciating uh, seeing this stuff online. Yeah, good, good. So yes, please, everyone, go out there and subscribe. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, but we ought to sort of move on, I think. First of all, you mentioned uh, Things from the Flood and Tales from the Loop. Uh, the Tales from the Loop board game is currently kickstarting. It we'll is. put a link in our show notes. Yep. If you don't know about it at all, we, you know, it's not a thing we're going to cover in depth because we're not really a board gaming podcast. No. Um, but I'm excited. I, I've backed it. Have you backed it, Dave? I haven't backed it. And there's no pressure on you to do so? <laughs> Skinflint? <laughs> I've backed enough free league stuff, mate. <laughs> they can't, they can't <laughs> complain. Um, so, yeah, I sometimes think they should be giving us stuff for free, but never yeah, mind. Yeah, I think mind. so. Yeah, Thomas, listen in. Um, we, you so, should have said that during the interview. But I know, yeah, I know. We missed our chance. Um, so, so I, why have I not backed it? I don't know. I'm not sure there's a good reason. It looks lovely. The little models, painted models look look gorgeous. Um, I guess part of it is I backed Crusader Kings, uh, which is on the shelf behind me. And I've never played it, so I've never found the yes. time to play it. So I'm, I'm just conscious that if I, tempted as I am to back it, I haven't even played Crusader Kings yet, which I've had for nine months. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I will back it just before it finishes. But um, yeah, too many games, yeah. not enough time. Perennial problem. No, I mean, even that's I mean, even now, I even I now, everybody with, with lockdown, uh, still not not enough time. Yeah, Kickstarter itself is an interesting place in lockdown as well mm. because we have been talking a little bit about another Swedish game that I'm very interested in called Troubleshooters, mm. which is an RPG based on sort of 1960s um, uh, Tintin and hmm. other band designé of uh, detectives. They postponed their Kickstarter because of the lockdown, right. which I think is very interesting. The lockdown doesn't appear to have affected the Tales from the Loop Kickstarter, but of course that might be being helped by the TV show being out at the moment. They're probably right not to postpone it. Yeah, the timing is um, perfect, isn't it, for it, frankly? Yeah, but uh, we should also be contributing to Troubleshooter right now, and we're not because they've decided to wait a few months. Mm. Whether that's the right decision or not, we will find out. I mean, maybe this lockdown's going to be uh, followed by a great economic depression and uh, nobody will have any money to spend on Kickstarters, but we'll wait and see. Yeah. Um, and more Kickstarter news, actually, but this is of very little interest to you. Although, uh, just coming back to when we were last trying online gaming, we were playing um, the Firefly uh, game. We were. Um, with Cortex, which involves quite a lot of dice rolling, which I think is one of the reasons why it didn't work quite so well as an online game. Um, but uh, Cortex Prime is something I backed years ago, literally, which is <laughs> finally getting delivered in PDF form, which is the only thing I backed for. So um, that arrived earlier on this week. And another yeah. PDF that we've, that has just at this moment, literally minutes ago popped into our inboxes is the bitter reach yeah so i haven't even had a chance to open it yet so it's uh it's just sitting there in my email no, I, waiting to waiting to i go. have downloaded the um the Malif uh the mellifluous mage or whatever which is the, the bonus content the, the crypt of the uh, mellified mage the mellified right, mage mate. Come yes on, come on 
Well, I couldn't. I couldn't remember. I've only just a, downloaded it. Bloody, I'm looking at the cover now. Yeah, you know, we're a free league podcast, mate. You know, if, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> if you can't even get that right, what what hope do we have? Well, it does have an old wizard covered with honey. I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> so that's uh, that's one of your that's one of your dreams, isn't it? There's <laughs> an interesting thing here that um, uh, it strikes me that the particularly the sort of um, bonus, not bonus content, what would you call it? The the add on content for both the original Forbidden Lands campaign and for this one have kind of moved into the slightly weirder end. It's like mm-hmm. this is the um, Lamentations of the Flame Princess style Yes. Uh, adventures of weird honey-covered w- magic users and the like, um, which is fun. I think you know that that, that comes across in that way. It's a bit odd, um, but it's fun. But it's also fun. Yes, yes. <laughs> the other thing um, I was just going to mention is of, of things that haven't delivered yet, and I'm again I'm probably never going to never, not never, but who knows when they'll deliver. Um, I had a, an update email from Orskvigeln about Western. And they're still oh, right. they're still plugging on, but um, no sense of when that's going to deliver. And I know there's been a lot of trouble and difficulties for them, so uh, I'm not, you know, grumpy about it or anything. It's it's uh, mm. it's just one of those that I'd completely forgotten about, and then suddenly this. No, I'd forgotten at, about oh, it. Oh yeah, I backed that. That that might arrive sometime. Um, but I think it also prompts me to kick myself up the backside and you for getting on with Tales of the Old West. I think we need to put some more energy into moving that forward because it's a great idea yeah. and it will be, a, you know, for various reasons, we haven't moved it on much in recent weeks. Um, we need to get on with that, I think. Yeah. Um, well, I have got an idea for that. I'm uh, I know, you, Just let me finish you, my PhD You keep first. saying that. You've said that every every month for about six months. I've got an idea. I'll have to write it down. I've got an idea. I'll have to write it down. Yeah. Well, you, I've got other stuff to write down, mate. No, well, I know, I know, but still. I mean, come on. Um, so yes, but yes uh, we shall we shall get on with that and do another um, uh, another update for our patrons soon. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's move on. Where are we at now? Colonies. I think we're talking about colonies again. Yeah. In the last two episodes, I talked about world building in a colony campaign and life on the frontier. Who pays the bills? What jobs there may be? and what subtypes or specialisms you might play based on the existing careers in the alien RPG. And last time I ended on a question. What can a game mother do to help your colony campaign group work together? I'd like to have a go at answering my own question today before talking a bit about the dangers of the frontier. There are a couple of obvious things you could do. First, you could use an informal group concept approach. I know Alien already has the idea of a group concept, but these are so broad that they only really work as a group concept for colonial marines, and to a lesser extent space truckers. But even space truckers, and especially frontier colonists, have such a potential for character variety under those headings, that just having a group of them together doesn't automatically bring a common purpose or a goal. Yes, they may all want the colony to thrive and survive, I mean, or do they? but they may have totally different jobs, totally different paymasters, and corporate obligations that are totally different as well. Their outlooks will be as different as people in any settlement anywhere. So a kind of subgroup concept 
might be an easy and obvious way to bring some unity, at least of purpose. And these could take many forms. A wildcatter team out surveying and prospecting, a colonial security team or a team of civil marshals, a science team looking to explore and further the frontiers of science, a colony maintenance team out fixing stuff, a group of sleepers, UPP operatives under the cover of maintenance hands but there to disrupt the working of the United America's colony, and so on. But these concepts bring with them a definite type or style of scenario. The wildcatters will go exploring, the marshals will be investigating crime, the maintenance team will be getting grubby and greasy. That may be just fine. If that's what your players are looking for in their colony game, then great. But you and they may want more flexibility in your type of scenario, and a group concept might limit that somewhat. Another option you might consider is having a pre-existing bond of family or friendship. After all, colonial life is all about starting afresh, and there are many families making new futures for themselves on the frontier. The concept of buddies and rivals helps this, but I've found that players in a campaign setting seem keen to explore the relationship with their rivals rather than build the relationship with their buddies. Perhaps that's an understandable drive for conflict in a role-playing game, but it means my group in the Exodus campaign are eyeing one another warily most of the time. That's cool, and creates an exciting atmosphere of suspicion and distrust that keeps the players on edge. But it doesn't help me credibly explain why a scientist, a doctor, a corporate executive, a synth, and a kid all go on a rescue mission together. So as a GM, you might want to propose that your playing group is an extended family, that thus have a reason to stick together, and millions of reasons to envy, compete, distrust, or even hate one another. One practical way I've managed my disparate group is to shift players in and out of game sessions, which we've had to do anyway due to the number of players who want in to my campaign. Also, there's a responsibility on me as the GM to think imaginatively and design stories that can hook all the players, most of the time. But this is hard and runs the risk of sometimes marginalising individual players. But using a combination of these approaches, you can bring some group cohesion to your team of players and minimise the occasions where a character gets involved in a situation that they really have no business being involved with, just because the player is around the table. Now, to dangers on the frontier. What might our poor players have to face? For a start, there's the environment. From the airless vacuum of a secret research colony on a deserted asteroid, to the acid-filled air or toxic pollen of a hellish Earth-like planet, there are plenty of opportunities to pull out the perhaps less frequently used aspects of the alien RPG. Consumables like air and power, and the dangers of suffocation and drowning, not to mention the impact of radiation. As an aside here, so far I've found the radiation rules to be either too benign, in that weak radiation will give you one damage per shift, which in my game last eight hours, or too dangerous, in that strong radiation ticks up the rads at a rate of one per turn, five minutes in my game, and extreme is one per round, so every five seconds. Finding a balance between radiation being almost no threat at all, and radiation being a deadly and swift killer, is a tough one, but maybe I should have less sympathy for my players and let them burn in a gamma ray tsunami. Anyway, far-flung planets 
are going to be ripe with opportunities for GMs to test these rules to the full. And then you'll get high winds, sandstorms and tornadoes, earthquakes and volcanoes, magma flows both fast and meandering, as well as the occasional pyroclastic cloud, tsunamis and floods, avalanches and electric storms, acid rain and air so toxic that it would peel the enamel from your very teeth. Again, my system for generating the planet and the colony helps with all of this, and includes lots of other features that would be dangerous in and of themselves. Cliffs, gorges and ravines, thermal springs and freezing fog banks. The options are almost endless. And we haven't even come to the life you might find. Obviously, we all know that the xenomorphs are out there somewhere, as are the neomorphs and the abominations. You're not likely to run across these critters every day, or if you do, your campaign is going to be brutal and short. But there are other things to worry about. Harvesters, for example. Huge beasts that would grind you to mush given half the chance. But we need to remember this is an alien game, where much of the fear and excitement comes in the anticipation of danger, and the payoff is the moment it becomes real, and not the huge fight you have trying to overcome it. Although that's fun too. In the Exodus campaign, my crew came across a harvester, but not before there had been rumours of beasts wandering the huge grassy plains, where the only sign of them was the uneven waving of the high grasses as something passed unseen. But for me, the best inspiration for extrasolar beasties comes from nature itself. I was walking the dog the other day, and passed a woodland pond. It was covered in a layer of bright moss or algae, and as I looked, the whole thing seemed to be gently squirming. In that moment, it was almost unworldly, a little weird and unsettling. What was going on? On closer inspection, it was a swarm of tadpoles, struggling with their own life and death battle just under the surface. But the whole experience left me with ideas for a future planet. Well, I don't think there's really much I can add to that. That seems pretty complete. You've done the here are ideas for different sorts of colony campaign, which is what I was kind of waiting for. Um, technical question for you. How are the radiation rules for Alien different or the same as the radiation rules of Coriolis? Because we don't use, we haven't, I remember looking up the radiation rules of Coriolis when I was um, casting you aside on the prison planet in our last adventure. Yeah. But, uh, well, not our last adventure, because now we're on Mercy of the Icons, but the, the one, the last one people have heard on our podcast. Um, yeah. And I can't remember the rules for that, <laughs> so I'm just looking them up now. So, because it's interesting, because I... Was... Uh, what I liked about it, I seem to remember, was the fact that if you took any radiation damage, then that had an impact on later times when you got radiation damage, you 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 crossed out a box on the radiation track, and you roll as many dice as you get points of radiation. But you also have to add on to that the permanent radiation that you've got uh, from previous encounters with radiation. So the more you've encountered radiation, the more it affects you. Yeah, it's, yeah. I think I think the rules for radiation in Alien and Coriolis are probably exactly the same, pretty much. So I think the um, yeah, when you heal that temporary radiation, which you do, I think in Alien at one one point a day, when you heal that, mm -hmm. you have to roll a dice. And in Alien, if you roll a one, if you roll a little face hugger, that point of radiation doesn't heal; it becomes permanent. 
and it, 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 ah, it, okay. it so, remains on your pool, which I think is the same for Coriolis. So no, I think you, it's permanent anyway. So um, when you uh, do you? Oh, yeah. Hold on. I don't think I think it's permanent. It, it doesn't remain permanent. Oh no, no. If it shows a six, the RP yeah. is not healed, but instead becomes permanent. I mark this with a line. Right. Okay. So right, the I'm wrong. The mechanic is exactly the same in both games. Now I think in so in in Alien. Well, not exactly the same because well, in Alien it's when you roll a one, not a six. There's, there's the it's, a, it's a slight difference. The, it's the, the same odds, I uh, know. But. The mechanic being a one in six <laughs> chance that that point of temporary radiation becomes permanent is exactly the same. Don't care what number on the dice you choose, Matt. Um, and I and I like the fact earlier. Well, I'm going to make the same when it's a four. When you well, you could do. Why not? That's entirely entirely <laughs> appropriate. We should do yes, more of that. Right. We should do more of roll a two and you're screwed rather than roll a six <laughs> or a one. Um, yeah, four is bad luck in, in China. So um, Isn't eight so, bad luck in China? Or is that good luck? No, I think eight is good luck. Is it? Okay. And four, because it's half of eight, is, is, okay. is bad luck, I think. Fair enough. Um, uh, anyway, carry yeah, on. Carry so, on. Let, let us not be Orientalist about it. Um, <laughs> I wasn't being Orientalist. I was just asking. So for me, in Alien, I haven't used radiation rules yet in a campaign so i think there would have more utility in a campaign so in a uh, cinematic game if you have the weak radiation you know the cinematic game is is likely to end and you'll be dead before the radiation becomes an issue or in the cinematic game you make the radiation more dangerous and the radiation just kills you so so for me Mm. it's it's finding that balance between those two in um um, in Alien, uh, in a cinematic game, has proved to be um, a little troublesome. In terms of a campaign, I haven't done it yet. I will have to start um, using radiation rules in the Exodus campaign that I'm running, and see how it plays out. But um, so I was interested to, when you mentioned that you had looked at using radiation for Song of the Siren. I was going to ask why did you decide not to? I did use radiation for Song of the did Siren. You? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so the radiate. So, but you only encountered the radiation. When you were being ejected from the prison ship onto the planet, there was a ah, moment sort of okay, yeah. before you got into the atmosphere where I made you all roll for radiation damage. And the only person that got any and was unlucky enough to keep it was Dave Seamart. So he's got one point of radiation That's me. damage. Not, uh, did I say Dave? Tony, Tony, uh, I meant Tony, your brother is what I meant, not Dave so, Seamart. So, so, Matthew, yeah. um, I'm your co host on this podcast <laughs> yeah. that you've been doing for three years. Welcome. My name is Dave. Wait, hold on, you mean you're not Tony? <laughs> Damn! I know you're getting on when a I bit, When I emailed the invitation out three years ago, I was meant to email Tony, not you. <laughs> All this time, I thought I've been talking to the other guy. I'm sorry, uh, but I really can't stand Dave. He's not my no. friend. I mean, sorry, I can't stand you, Dave. You're not my friend. I didn't uh, want to invite you on this podcast anyway. It's Tony. Tony's the one I Anyway. Anyway, sorry, no. Um... Yeah, so Tony got the radiation damage, right. uh, and you you washed it off. We were okay, well. yeah, okay, yeah. So anyway, I mean, in in the colony thing, I think with the with the group concept or the subgroup concept idea, you, you could. I mean, I've listed down three or four things, all pretty obvious ones, really. You could do pretty much anything you liked, frankly, because a colony is mm. a subset of life. A colony will have to have everything, um, everything in it. You could play a a group of. You know, dinner ladies, if you wanted to, or 
um, I don't know, drivers or um, hideaways, people who are, shouldn't be there, who are hiding in the guts of the base. Well, who knows? It could be anything. Yeah, but exciting things. I mean, dinner ladies would be a little bit <laughs> I know, boring. I know, but... Um... Little Tommy's fallen over and scuffed his knee. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? <laughs> oh, stress! Stress! <laughs> Well, I think the reason I said dinner ladies was because when I did the idea, wrote down the idea about the um, sort of UPP sleepers, I was thinking actually the dinner ladies could be UPP sleepers. But um, so on, you know, during the day they are cooking food and, and looking after the kids. But during the evening they're out doing espionage. But maybe not. Might not be such a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I do remember actually there was a sort of dinner lady in. Alien River of Pain, because I remember little Newt goes and gets a, a lollipop from <laughs> somebody in the in the kitchen. So there is a cat. There, there, there's precedent there. You could just focus on the dinner ladies during that campaign if you wanted. You could role play catering quite quickly. Role play yeah. catering that would be fun. There, I, there are plenty of opportunities. You're just not imaginative enough. Oh no, the frozen <laughs> chips haven't arrived. What are we going to do? Stress. <laughs> We'll have to go and raid some potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, uh, there was a whole uh, movie. There was a whole book, a novel and a movie all about acquiring potatoes for chips. Uh, what was it called? The Martian. The Martian. That was it. That was yeah. it. <laughs> all he wanted was a decent chip. <laughs> uh, uh, yes. Moving on. Moving on. Right. Moving on. Let's, let's We've got an interview. Yeah, let's listen to or some... Or have we finished here? I think we finished here. I was going to say, let's listen to some more insightful and interesting comments uh, from two of our favourite people, Thomas and Matthias from uh, Free League. Um, yeah, it was quite a wide-ranging, long conversation. So Dave and I are here virtually, of course, with Thomas and Matthias from Free League, two of the biggest fish in the Free League pond. Uh, we're very privileged. Uh, welcome, guys. How are you? Hello. We're, uh, I'm well. We're in different cities uh, at the moment. Uh, so we're all working from home. But uh, I'm doing well. This is Thomas in Stockholm. In the sunny south and in the frozen north, Matthias. Uh, <laughs> hi. Uh, and thanks for having us. Um, today it's actually extremely sunny. But mm-hmm. it fell about a decimeter of snow this this night so <laughs> now I'm, I'm looking out at the crisp uh, spring uh, landscape outside my window here in in the north of Sweden and yeah I've um, I'm holding up okay uh, as Thomas said uh, um, we are about 800 kilometers apart or something like that and will continue to be so for for the time being you know why yeah and, yes. and in fact that was really our first question wasn't it Dave yeah, which is, I mean, how are you guys? Are you coping and you everybody well? We're doing fine. We're still working. Everyone's working from home. Uh, but we're, uh, personally, we're, we're doing fine. Uh, actually, we have uh, one member of Free League who uh, might be, you know, uh, who's, who's ill, but he's, uh, he's doing okay. He's, he's not seriously ill or anything. So, uh, so and overall, we're doing pretty okay. Oh, good, good, good to hear. And how, how are you finding it in terms of the business? Are you managing to, to be able to cope to keep things moving? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the other part. For the most part, we're do, we're, I mean, we are continuing on all projects. We're working, we haven't stopped anything or, or cancelled anything uh, uh, in terms of producing games. Uh, 
Mm. Uh, of course, we, all the events have been canceled. We were yeah. meant to go the Easter, um, Easter weekend. Uh, last weekend was, uh, is always when the biggest RPG convention in Sweden is held, Gothcon in Gothenburg. Yeah. Uh, which is like a tradition we've been going now. We would have been like the ninth year in a row or something. So we have, uh, that was obviously canceled. So, so I mean, and we've been canceling UK Game Expo has been moved and uh, yeah. Origins in the US, I think is moved as well. And so it's changing a lot on the event front. Yeah. And I think the biggest obstacle right now is that uh, the warehouses, both the one, the main one we have in the UK and in the one in the US are both uh, have suspended operations for all outgoing shipments. And that means we cannot ship any games to anyone. And that's obviously a big problem and not sustainable <laughs> in the long run. So we yeah. certainly hope that uh, they can open up at least in a limited and safe way uh, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so they're receiving stock in at the warehouse. I think I heard you mention somewhere, but at the moment they can't find a safe way of working, keeping their two meters apart to do the sorting and packing and sending yeah. out. Yeah, so I mean, uh, they are working on that now and how to reopen and how to work. Uh, they, that's happening, but I don't have a date. Cool, but your, uh, sw your Swedish language warehouse is, uh, they're, they're still going strong, are they? A distribution, that, yeah. Yeah, okay, Swedish, take it, you, Thomas. Yeah, the Swedish warehouse is, is open, but it's uh, so if people order from the Swedish language webshop, they can actually get their stuff even if they are abroad. But of course, the okay. warehouse only has the Swedish language books. That's one oh. tiny bit of your income nowadays, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, so, but I, I think we should do a shout out to our fantastic uh, gamers out there who are on the international market who are still helping us have uh, quite a bit of traffic on our, our English uh, store. Uh, we have, um, we have uh, reduced all prices of English products with by 20%. Uh, mm -hmm. If people buy them now and that reduction is sort of a, a bandaid for, for them having to, to wait Mm -hmm. uh, for some weeks before actually getting the products. Yeah. Uh, we are very, very happy to see that people continue to support us in that way. Yeah, that's great, great to see. And of course, uh, ordering now, even though you might have to wait a bit to get the, the, the game, the physical book, uh, you'll get the PDF quickly, of course, as usual, and the book yeah. will come. It just will be a bit delayed. So that's why we have the 20% discount uh, in the web shop right now. That's, that sounds great, and uh, it's obviously uh, doing a good job. You've also got a discount on drive-through if people only want the PDF. Is that right? Yes, it's a fifty percent there actually on all the core books, so all the core sets, the core uh, RPGs. Excellent. Yeah. So I notice, um, even as we speak, uh, Alien is still in the top ten. I think it's um, it's eighth place at the moment, and it's mm -hmm. bargain. Uh, a bargain price at just over ten pounds in yep. in English money. So uh, if anybody's looking for the PDF, then uh, go there or wait for the thing. I'm just looking at the photograph now, which looks <laughs> gorgeous. But more on that later. Um, <laughs> so uh, so yeah, this is a, a strange time, but uh, you're 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 keeping it all together. Um, you've grown though immensely. We talked about Alien. It, it's it's a mithril top seller on on drive-through so it's getting in to be the in the 100 or 150 
biggest selling games they have ever had on drive through um, How does it feel now to be one of the big boys of the RPG world? <laughs> or do you feel that you're the big boys of the RPG world? What do you say, Matthias? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we are, of course, super happy to to that Alien is doing so so well and receiving such praise and uh, people actually playing. Not only reviewers seem to to like it very much. So we are mm -hmm. super happy about that. We are also super happy that. If if it's because we are big or I don't know, but landing the the uh, the One Ring license is another step yeah. in having that sort of you know impact brands in our portfolio. Tales from the Loop is really getting some extra attention now as well because of the TV series. So, and the board game, you know, we have a Kickstarter running mm -hmm. for, for Taste of the Loop, the board game. So, well, I don't know if we're, I don't know if we're big, but we're bigger, mm -hmm. yes. What do you say, Thomas? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, obviously things have, you know, we've gotten some attention for, for, yeah, Alien, The One Ring, Tales, and other stuff, and that's that's great. Uh, and it, yeah, I mean, it's just more more interest in what we do, which is which is uh, you know, it's been a fantastic to to sort of experience that. But I think, in terms of how we work internally, I don't think that much has really changed. We're still pretty much the same crew. We've been, uh, you know, some some more. We have uh, working with more great freelancers and so on. But we're we haven't really changed the way we work that much. It's still very much a passion driven business that we run and uh, we still have the same kind of nerdy discussions about what we do and how we do games and so I mean in terms of the I think very much in, in how we talk and work and, and think about games I think uh, hopefully we get better and better but it, we, it, it's not a been a, it's not like a different company now than before Alien or anything like that. Mm. I guess it's a bigger company now I think when we came over in uh, a couple of years ago to, to meet you guys for the first time um, I think you had one person sort of full-time on the payroll. I think that was Nils. Um, I, I guess the situation is quite different now. It's a bit different, yeah, but it's been a slow, slow growth. I don't remember when that was exactly, but you're right. At some point, uh, I don't know what year exactly, but a couple of years ago, a few, few or four years ago, I think we had one and then two people working mostly uh, with Free League. I mean, uh, not full-time only, but they did other projects also, other work. Yeah. Uh, but they were mostly doing free league at that time, and now we are, I believe, six people who are hmm. mostly doing free league. I mean, we're that's our main sort of main work that we do. Um, but we've been growing sort of slowly. I mean, we, the company started almost it's uh, yeah it's um, nine years ago, so it's uh, it's mm -hmm. been like kind of a steady slow growth over over time. How, how does it feel in terms of, uh, you know, being bigger league or big league now that you've got a TV show based on the artwork that you've published in one of your games? Not many companies can say that, can they, I guess? Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> fantastic, obviously. I mean, it's and that's I mean, I, we shouldn't take too much credit because that's that part is mostly Simon. I mean, we did we work with him. We published his books. We did the RPG and, and we did, I think, a decent job at that. But 
creating the art and the universe and all of that, that's that we shouldn't claim, take the credit from, from Simon. It's, it should mm. be mostly, mostly his, but of course it's fantastic to, to see. Uh, I mean, it's, it's so cool to see that, you know, robots and the, even scenes and everything from the game and from the art books just transformed into to the TV show. And I'm glad they did a good job. I think at it as well. It feels like a very, true to, to Simon's world and vision, uh, the way they did the TV series. I've been loving it. I've, I've seen it all now. And um, my, my wife hasn't watched it. I'm trying to get her to watch it. And she, um, she can hear it when I'm watching it downstairs. And she, she said, oh, I don't want to watch that really depressing thing. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's uplifting. No, it, it's, 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 it's not it's, depressing at it's all. Really it's, it's meditative yeah. and uplifting. Yeah. And I, I think... I think it's what you call slow TV, right? It's, well, it's so good to have something that is slow TV. Yeah, it's I'm slow so, TV, but, but still uh, a, a bit of a nerve to it and, and a lot of, you know, feeling emotion, great actors, uh, great scripts, mm. uh, high production value, value in all senses of, of, of the word. So I think your word meditative is perfect for it. Because mm. I wouldn't start watching an episode unless I was sure I could see it all the way through, unless I had the time to do it. Because I didn't want to stop halfway and sort of mm. spoil the spoil the mood. But it, no, it's been brilliant, and it's it, it's great that it's it's received such such good. Uh, you know, it's been received so well. Yeah, it didn't get a very good review in the Guardian, but let's gloss over that. But the Guardian did write a lovely article about Seaman Stalinhag um, a couple of days ago as well. So they kind of made up for that. Yeah, but uh, who, read, who reads the Guardian? <laughs> it's a big paper. <laughs> let's not get into that. No, no, let's not get into that. Uh, like any, I mean, I, I enjoy it too, but obviously, not everything is for everyone. It's very, it's slow paced. So I feel, I mean, that mm. that is true. But I, I enjoy the slow pace of this this show. It's really nice, actually, in this world of really, you know, choppy sort of YouTubey television to get something that's that's slow and meditative and cinematic really in in, in the way it's done I love it yeah me um, too. but as we say that's not free leagues baby that's Amazon Primes and Siemens a little bit uh coming back to something that is what free league are all about and what this podcast is all about and that's mm -hmm. Coriolis Dave I've been running you through Mercy of the Icons what do you think of that is that yeah. slow <sighs> it hasn't been slow so far so yeah so we've 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 done three sessions now so i've ever since i, I got the mercy of the icons i've been banned from reading it which has been a real pain because i've wanted to read it but now finally we're running through it and it's it's been brilliant we've had three episodes we haven't got very far yet but it's been it's been great fun in terms of of um mercy of the icons part two uh matthias um can you tell us when when we might expect to see that and um how how that's going to start with your second question, uh, I just I can I can tell you that we have a full uh, script of the Swedish uh, version of Mercy of the Icons 2 since a, about a week back. Uh, Rickard Antroja, who is writing it, uh, made the final adjustments and we sent it off to to translation right away. So uh, at the moment, I think I I. I I have the epilogue and I should shortly get the, the first of the three adventures that's it, it's like divided into three separate acts or, or adventures mm. the book. Uh, so it's going really well. Martin uh, is working on the cover. 
I had hoped that I could could show you a glimpse of it uh, by now, but it will take a couple of more days. And when when we have it, we will probably do an, a more official update in the form of a, of a newsletter or something like right. that, telling you all that. Uh, Mercy of the Icons 2 is on its way. Um, we haven't, I think, set a, a, a release date, but we're talking about uh, fourth quarter of 2020. Right. Uh, do you have a, a exact release date in your calendar, Thomas? Uh, no, no exact date yet. But like you say, towards the end of the year. Yeah, and, and I can also tell you that from an editorial perspective and also as an avid gamer, I am extremely happy with what Rickard has, has mm -hmm. done with, with this second installment of the series. Uh, it's going to be a big bada-boom, I can <laughs> tell you. I think Nils mentioned that it may be a controversial bada-boom as well, Some some months ago when we were talking yeah all badabooms uh, <laughs> have the characteristic of uh, of uh, you know alarming and and stirring emotions so that that is that goes without saying or <laughs> it goes with the big badaboom <laughs> um so are there uh, uh well obviously we don't want you to spoil it i definitely don't want you to spoil it for dave because i want to make him suffer in the game but um <laughs> Are there uh, anything you can tell us about? Is, are there going to be new factions appearing? or are we going to Do find you out really need more factions, Matt? <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> no, actually, we do need more factions because we've just about run out of reviewing them on the podcast. So we're on, we're on the last one. <laughs> okay. <or two. laughs> no, you know, the, the story will evolve, I would say, uh, pretty much as, 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 it, as you see in, in the first... In the, uh, in the first episode, you have you have you have the conflicts, the basic conflict of of uh, of uh, Mercy of the Icons campaign is is between the Senithians the, the uh, and the first come, mm. and also you have these schisms within those factions, and you have all all these sub factions that are more or less drawn between the two major ones, as the Legion, and you have. Uh, you will come to see a lot of interesting politics playing out. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think what, what, what impresses me most about how Rickard has designed the, the script is that because, you know, not everyone is, is totally into the, the intrigue and the politics. They, they more or less want, want an action adventure with a, with a really nice story. And I think, this Mercy of the Icons 2 is, is really designed to be played, to, to be set up by the GM to, uh, to fit his or her preferences and the preferences of his or her, her gaming group. Mm, nice. so, so, but the politics is and will be, uh, because that's one main feature of, of Coriolis, obviously. It's not just space. It's it's a space. It's a it's a lived space with cultures and and civilizations uh, clashing with each other and trying to to get by uh, in uh, while facing the the darkness that mm. rests between mm. the stars and that haunts them all. Clearly, you've been really busy getting that 
in, in the right place. Has that given you any any space to think about what comes next? Are there any other plans for sort of next year for Corey? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Part three in the mercy of the icons. Have you any thoughts about um, <laughs> exp expansions? Or, um... You know, um, yeah, as you and your listeners know, we, we today are the owners of the Coriolis brand, uh, which means that we have, we have, uh, yeah, we, we covered this in an interview a couple of months ago, right? Yeah. Uh, we are just, all... Just going to keep yeah. asking the question until you give us more scoops, that's all. Yeah. Okay. No, there there isn't much to tell you yet. Uh, focus right now is is on on mercy of the icons, yeah. and we. What I can say is that, and Thomas, you you can back me up on this. Uh, trying to describe the the process that we are going through when when working with our different brands, we are. I would say like. 18 to 24 months behind all the mm. time mm. so so what will what will what we are working on now will mm. release over the course of of uh, 2021 yeah so what will happen in 2022 we <laughs> are of course discussing but we are not ready to reveal anything <laughs> right thomas yeah i guess so but yeah just, i mean it's still kind of the boring general answer that after having acquired the the the, the property the, the whole you know coriolis brand uh, of course we're not just going to drop it after mercy the icons i mean no. what that means in more specifics yeah, I'm, I'm, we'll have to save that for a bit, <laughs> for a later time. Actually, because one, one of the reasons why we have to, to, to wait by announcing anything is that we actually haven't come around to deciding on anything yeah. specific. That much we can tell you. So, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, but we are discussing a lot of, of yeah. interesting stuff. Cool. We can say, I guess, that's, that uh, it's actually me and uh, you, Matthias. You and I have, we're some kind of a task force. Task force, exactly, to, to nail down like some specifics of, of future stuff. So we're actually in the middle of that process at the moment. Cool. Still in the middle, right? We'll we'll grab you as soon as as, as soon as the middle is the end. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and, and do you have a sense? Do you have a sense when you might have come to some conclusions? How 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 far from the <laughs> end are we? Yeah, um, hard to say. I mean, we will probably nail down some pretty specific. Uh, I mean, make some decisions now during this spring, um, but it's still going to be very early. Um, yeah, we, I don't. We might we will probably announce anything this year because it's going to be very early uh, before. I mean, it's still we have plenty of work to do with Mercy of the Icons part uh, two and three. So I mean, this is all in regards to what happens after that. Yeah, so yeah, and 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 actually, we talked about uh, the pan pandemic at the start of of this interview, and uh, this is one area where where we actually have been uh, affected by the pandemic in the sense that me and Thomas really need to have a sit down eye to eye, mm. preferably over a couple of, uh, of, Beers. of Beers, hours yeah. or, or uh, even, <laughs> even days, just yeah. sketch, 
I thought you were getting beers too. I'm disappointed now. <laughs> <laughs> so I was getting beer. That would uh, be yeah, well, you know, at a later time when that can actually happen. So that's yeah. that is a problem right now. That yeah. I mean, we can do a lot um, over you know these kinds of uh, digital media, but it's just not the same. So so mm -hmm. that is a bit of a of, a, of an issue right now. Cool. Yeah, but, but with most of the icons, then we're expecting that with any luck, so towards the end of the year. Um, how? What about your other things that are due to deliver soon? Um, do you do you have much? Um, uh, you know, are you, are you likely to face much delay in getting things like uh, sort of Verson and the Simbarum Game Master's Guide, those kind of things finished? There's well on the way. I mean, Simbarum, you can you can pull up Matthias, but because uh, you know that one best. But we have a, quite a few. I mean, we have. Um, we did a couple of Kickstarters in the fall, so we have the bit of reach for Forbidden Lands, mm -hmm. and we have uh, Vezen, the, the role-playing game. Um, so those two Kickstarters are near completion now. The bit of reach is printed uh, and done, and it's uh, arriving, I believe, tomorrow to the UK warehouse. Oh, cool. And it's already arrived at the Swedish warehouse, so it's it's completely done. Uh, problem is there, we can't ship anything out at the moment, so yeah. it will probably be another couple of weeks before we can start shipping that out. But yeah. it's apart from that, it, it's done, so there are no... It's a bit delayed. It was supposed to come out in February, so we are a bit behind, but it's still still now, at least, it is done. Uh, Vezen is pretty much on track. Uh, it's uh, a June, I think it says in the Kickstarter, and if things pick up in terms of distribution, we can probably hit that. Cool. We are pretty much done. We're finalizing the last little things. Now we'll go to send out the beta. We had an alpha out for quite some mm. time, an alpha PDF. We're doing a, a beta, which is pretty much the mm. complete finished game. But that will send out in the next couple of days, and then we'll send it to print in a few weeks. So if everything works, nothing, you know, in these days, it's hard to be sure about anything but unless something more happens uh, we should be done with it it should be printed and done and delivered around early june and and if we can ship out then that's that's going to happen so we're pretty much on track and i think it's the same with the simbaroom gm gm's guy right yeah it's uh, being printed as we speak and should arrive before the end of the month uh, both here in in sweden and and to uk uh, the, we have, we will of course send it out to backers as soon as it is possible. Uh, and you said a couple of weeks, Thomas, it, it just to manage expectations. We, as I understand it, we really don't know. It could be a month as well, depending on what happens in Britain, yeah. uh, with, with the, with the pandemic, uh, but then the, I, I believe we have uh, an, a June uh, launch date uh, for the for the general public and for stores and and so on. So so cool. uh, it, it it is on track as well. But we have a lot going on. It mm -hmm. it feels, mm -hmm. and that's also one of the reasons why you know discussions about what will happen in twenty twenty two. We, we we love to have those discussions, but really sitting down when we we, we have so much in in production already. Yeah, that, yeah. You haven't got the time to sit down and think about it. 
no, uh, we are yeah. working on a, a lot of other stuff as well, mm. uh, yes. both stuff that we have announced and and stuff that we haven't announced yet. So so there's uh, you know it's it's a sweatshop. So, so <laughs> some of the things you've been talking about in the newsletters, which um, we're quite intrigued by, are starter sets for some of your existing games. Yes. Um, you, Thomas, have just sent us a photograph of the Alien starter set, which looks great. Um, yes, uh, we are doing uh, quite a few now, actually. The first one is the Tales from the Loop, which is done and being shipped. I think it's arriving very soon. We had a pre-order running. We have a pre-order running still. Uh, so that's uh, on its way. And same thing there, it should ship out as soon as the warehouse opens. And then the next one is the Alien Starter set. That's a bit chunkier one. I just got the prototype. That's why I sent you the picture. We got a sample from the, from the factory just uh, yesterday. So I figured it'd be fun mm. to show it out, show it off a little bit. And as you can see, it contains a lot of stuff. What's mm. missing from the picture are the dice, which will also be included. So basically, uh, you'll get everything you need to play uh, in that one. I'm, yeah. loving the, I'm loving the new artwork for the box. It's great. The red picture, that's excellent. Love that. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, by Martin uh, Green, mm. of course. Uh, so <laughs> that's... Uh, yeah, I love that one too. It's a great, great piece. Um, so yeah, I mean... Starter sets, it's nothing new exactly. Others are doing it, but we just feel that we need to, we've always been wanting our games to be fairly accessible. And this is just one way, one more way to do that, uh, to, to give a great, easy for people. So uh, beyond Tales and Alien, we're also working on the Symbarum starter set, which is probably the next, yeah. next, next up. So uh, it might not be for every game, but it's something we're definitely looking at for, for several games at the moment. Are you, I guess it's the philosophy behind this, that, the hope that, like you say, you, you get the game out to more people who might not punt to buy the full game straight away. But yeah. You're hoping that this will lead them to buy the rest of the full game? I guess so. I mean, that's, that's always the hope, that this yeah. will be the first thing that people will move on and, and, and get the full core book also, but it might be an easier starting point and mm. i think it also works with i mean it's a couple of different i mean um for alien and tales those games are uh, have been doing quite well on on like streams and online games and so on i think a starter set might help that even more and uh, yeah uh, to get like that kind of i mean both are made for for um and the starter sets are, are like one shots. Both each contains a full scenario, so you can play that. And that's an easy way to just dive into the game and get all the stuff that you need. Mm -hmm. uh, for Simberum, it's a bit, uh, maybe a bit different. That's a game that's been out for quite some time. It's got a strong community, but it's a game that we feel could be a lot, more people could uh, experience it if they had an, maybe an easier starting point, because now you have four uh, the parts of the main, the huge campaign out and everything. And we feel that that is great, but it's also might be hard for someone who comes new to Simberum. Simberum is also a new game for Free League. So it's also you know, came from Yenring and when we joined forces. So we feel that it might be useful now when it's a Free League game to give people a new easy starting point to get into Simberum. Or that's at least my, the way I see it. I don't know if you have another take, Matthias. Oh, uh, I absolutely agree. I would like to add also the the event uh, aspect of it all. Uh, 
especially mean, at yeah at, at places like UK Games Expo or 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 Gen Con or PAX or whatever, <clears throat> it is easier to to you know put a, a starter set in the hands of someone who who gets interested in the game than showing off like eight hardcover books and saying mm. this is the game buy it yeah uh, also we are <laughs> we are we are having kind of a problem uh, fitting all our brands and products uh, in our cubicles on the table events <laughs> yeah so so having starter sets for and we are trying these three now and we we will sort of take it from there uh, we have what, from what I know, we don't have any more starter sets planned right now. But if this goes well, I think it's it's a great way to to introduce new players. Just the fact that it says starter set on the box makes people more likely to to pick it up if they get the least interested in in the the game concept. Mm. So so to me, and and also we 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 pretty much have a finished uh, script for, for the Symbrom starter set. We haven't started the layout and post-production yet, but as, as it looks right now, it, we, it will be a little bit meatier maybe than at least the, the, the tail starter set. Uh, also including a couple of, of original scenarios and a bit of sandbox rules uh, from from the mother of darkness, so maybe you can play around with it a little bit longer to get mm. accustomed to the the world and hopefully 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 get sucked in and mm. and want to because Symbrom as well as Coriolis and many of our games are are games that you to get the full experience and this of course at the moment mostly applies to sim room to get the full experience you have to invest pretty much time mm. into mm. you know uh, read, and also a little bit <laughs> a little bit of money to <laughs> to because we have like 10 or to 12 something like that hardcover books out there yeah. and four of them core books so yeah uh, starter sets make sense in in many ways and it would be really, I, I don't know, Thomas, do you have any reflections regarding the fact, uh, I don't know if I heard you right, Matt, because you broke up a bit, but it's, it's, I think I heard you mention something about the box. Yeah, so the, the Alien starter set that you've shown the photograph of is boxed. Yeah, um, and the Tales as well. Tales and do, and I know there's a, there's a strong tradition of RPGs coming in boxes in Sweden that we back in the 70s and early 80s, remember, from the UK and from America. But, but after that time, it, it turned into great big chunky books and very few sort of box sets. Mm. So I have a kind of nostalgic rush for mm. box sets. Um, uh, is, is the idea of putting them in boxes part of your philosophy or, will, or is that not going to be the case necessarily for every starter set? Thomas, oh, for take it away. <laughs> now, for starter sets, I think it makes sense to have it in a box because usually it's also a great way to package. I mean, quite a few of our games have more components than just the book. I mean, for Alien, we have we launched it with the dice, the cards, the uh, the map, uh, and, mm. and so on. The so markers and the markers exactly. Yeah. So it makes sense to package that in a single set. That makes it a lot easier than to have all these 
component, these separate products. It, it's just an easier way to, for a gamer to get everything in the, in a box. So it makes sense for for that reason as well. And, Actually, Thomas. Uh, yeah. Just bringing up the cards, I noticed on this photograph um, that you sent us, uh, Dave's already talked about the new cover art. I can see that cover art on the back of some cards. So are those new cards, especially for the starter set, and what's on the front of them? Uh, yeah, those are, I mean, in the, um, you have in the scenarios something called personal agendas for each ah, character. Each player yeah. character has agendas. So in the, before they were in, you got them in, in the book. In the book, yeah. Print yeah. out and, and cut it apart with scissors or something. But here we have placed them on cards, so you can just hand out uh, these agenda. Good idea. Good idea. Lovely. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's just it's uh, not new information as such, but it's just presented in a new way. Mm. No, that's great. Another another point on starter sets. I mean, you've obviously Tales from the Alien, Symbarum are all three sort of well established and uh, and well known games of yours. Have you got any sense that you might want to do it for a game like Things from the Flood? That to me, it feels as if it, it's been sort of unfairly eclipsed by everything else that's going on. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I guess the idea there is that Things from the Flood and Things from the Loop kind of go together. I guess yeah. we definitely do a starter set for things, but the idea is for now, at least, that the Tales from the Loop uh, starter set is like the gateway to the whole universe. So. Right. Uh, that's mm. so hopefully that can get people to notice things from the flood uh, as well but mm. yeah i mean but you're right i mean uh, and that's also because of the i mean the tv series and everything it's all called tales from the loop so that kind of gets more of the attention whereas yeah. things is a bit of a it's the sequel so it doesn't get the same and level of attention, I guess. So uh, we'll see what we can do about that. But I mean, it's not like uh, in boxes in general, like Forbidden Lands probably won't get a starter set because it's already got a boxed set from the mm, beginning. Yeah. So that's already kind of done. Uh, and then we'll see about the other games going forward. What Coriolis. Coriolis needs Coriolis? a starter set. Possibly. Possibly. Yes. <laughs> we were talking before um, you joined us, guys, that uh, is there an option here for a Coriolis second edition at some point? Yeah, should I take that? Sure. Uh, we, we actually the, the answer we just have no. <laughs> down the line. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure we will see uh, a second edition of Coriolis. Uh, I talked to had an interview with Mud and Blood a couple of weeks ago about Symbrom, and I said the same thing there. Um, but when and and how it will look is 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 not something that I can <laughs> yeah talk about today. No, no that's fair enough. Yeah, but it sounds to me there are ideas uh, flashing between yeah, you and Thomas on that one. Discussion we had uh, before that you know this is uh, it's certainly something that could happen. Now the game has been out now for what is it, three years? So, I mean, yeah. it's still doing well. It's nothing. I mean, there's still plenty of, of game there to play, but yeah, considering Corillus is, uh, is a long-term thing for us, then then uh, a second edition is something that could happen down the line. Yeah. Or or should we say third edition? Mm. Or should Maybe. we say of course. Yeah. Because yeah. What, we have today, what we have today is, in essence, a second edition, which yeah. is like the free league uh, adaption and uh, and and 
of of the game Jernringen made back in 07 or something like that. Uh, and now we we have come together again. Of course, we are we are discussing what to do with the brand going forth. Uh, but and and as soon as we have some decisions regarding supplements or or indeed second editions or whatever, uh, I believe. I can promise that uh, the Coriolis effect will be among the first to know about it. That's what we have. <clears throat> not, 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 <laughs> not modern among, blood. Not among the first. The first <laughs> surely. Uh, no, I might tell, tell my wife. Before <laughs> I tell you, but... Fair enough. <laughs> okay, and, and when it comes to uh, long-standing games lines as well, we shouldn't forget Mutant Year Zero. Uh, you've mentioned in your newsletter Mutant Ad Astra being in the pipeline for that one. Do you see that as being the ultimate or the last expansion for that line? Uh, you mean the Elysium or the Grey Death? Uh, Ad Astra. The, the... Oh, Ad Astra. Sorry, I missed yeah. that. Sorry. Well, n n no, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. uh, for Mutant, it's it's also, um, I mean, it's one of our, it's Free League's oldest international game. And it's a game that I think for all of us, even Yanring and of course, because they did their version of Mutant back in the day. So it's kind of a, it's a game that's very close to our hearts. Um, Ad Astra is at the moment, Ad Astra is how far the, what we have, we're already working on uh, so that's we have nothing we can announce or anything solid beyond that at the moment but it, we do have ideas so it's a it's mm. a very much an ongoing discussion it's a bit different than Coriolis since Mutant is a licensed game it's not our own mm. so it's, yeah. that affects the long-term planning perhaps a little bit but not that much it's still it's still um, it's still definitely a discussion we're having so we're not I don't think you should expect that Astra to be the end of the line. It's I, there are other things in the works, but uh, we'll just have to have to see. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do, do get some questions about Mutant Year Zero. That okay, is the is the line is the game dead now? Is are you doing anything? And, mm. and that's not quite as drastic as that. So there we do have things coming up on Mutant, but I guess compared to some of the other games, the activity and the focus is perhaps not as much on mutant at the moment and that's just we have quite a few game lines right now yeah. we have the same focus and energy on all of them at the same time it's going to have yeah. to have its ebbs and flows in terms of what we're focusing on for the moment yeah i can understand uh, as, as thomas said if you would point to one of our brands that is sort of um that is on average closest to our individual hearts uh, and that's I'm not speaking only me and Thomas but all of us that are involved in free league today mutant is probably the brand that we have the closest you know emotional uh, bonds to uh, yeah. uh, the, the Jan Ringen team started up as a, a hobby company making a version of Mutant called Heirs of Doom. Of Doom. Yeah. Uh, and Free League also gathered together around uh, around that game. And, and as Thomas said, it was the first. It it wasn't the first you release as Free League, was it? Was that Svavel Winter? Oh, yeah. It was 
the first game we did in English. It was in our English. Third, third game in Swedish, but we released two games before that, but only in Swedish. So yeah, it was the first English language game. Mm. So uh, yeah, we, we'll happily come back and talk a little bit more about Mutant in the future. We'd love yeah, to have you, of course, indeed. of course. Um, now, and on your most recent acquisition, um, and being careful uh, not to strain to any reason why Sophisticated Games and Cubicle 7 split, can you shed any light on how they came to you and, and why maybe it was Free League that they came to as a potential publishing partner? I honestly, I guess it's probably better to ask them, but <laughs> my view on it, it's, um, I don't know exactly when it started out. I know that, uh, I mean, we had no, no, nothing obviously to do with, with them, uh, sort of them parting ways with uh, Cubicle 7. We had, we, we just heard about it just like everyone else. It was definitely not, we were not involved at all at that time. So uh, we came into the picture a bit later. Um, I know that uh, I mean, we obviously we really like the One Ring, and I know Francesco Nepitello, who's the lead designer. He uh, he liked Free League games as well, so we kind of hit it off and found each other on the designer level. So we knew of each other's games before we actually met. But then I know that he Francesco met Nils and Martin Takeichi from uh, Free League uh, at Essen now uh, last essay ah. and they met and talked and at that time i don't think they discussed uh, the one ring specifically at all they just yeah. talked about games and you know just but i you know they they kind of hit it off and martin is your board game designer the guy behind the tales Correct. from the loop board martin game is yeah. the designer of of uh, tales from the loop the board game and he's also yeah. a role player so he's also involved in, in on that side of things as well so um, uh, yeah, so, so basically a couple of weeks after that, uh, Francesco actually reached out to Martin and asked if we would be interested uh, in, in uh, perhaps publishing a new edition of The One Ring. And we said, well, yes, uh, that sounds very interesting to us. So, I mean, that's, we, we uh, and after that, we, a long conversation started because I think that was just very much a, a question, uh, kind of you know, out of the blue, just checking if we were to be interested. And, we, and I think the reason they did that is because they felt we had similar design philosophy on our mm. I think we, all, we kind of said that when just talking about it internally as well, that I think I mean, there are lots of great RPGs out there, but not, uh, I think the One Ring is one of very few that, that, that we feel would fit right in as a free league game, even the first edition. It's just has that quality of, of great rules design, graphic design, art. I mean, it's got that combination of things that feels like what we think is a free league type game. Mm. So the, the, I don't think we would do this with very many other games. It, it's very much, this just feels like a perfect, perfect fit mm -hmm. uh, for us. So um, yeah, after a fairly lengthy conversation, because they also had conversations with, other publishers and there was a you know there's a of course the license holder who is not francesco himself he's the designer yeah. so there's another part sophisticated games who have been great uh so we had a lot of talks with them and this was a process that took a couple of months until mm -hmm. just now yeah about a month ago now that we uh, uh made the agreement with them 
Yeah, that's great news. It's going to be very exciting seeing that develop. Um, now, we're coming to our last question. Uh, uh, Dave, I feel I've been hogging the uh, questions. Do you want to do the next one? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm quite happy for you to hog, Matthew. I know you like to be in the limelight more than me, so that's, that's <laughs> fine. Um, so, I mean, in this time of pandemic and the rest of it, we were talking about uh, sort of remote gaming and a sort of organised play. Now, I think in your interview with uh, Enwild, you mentioned you were thinking about organised play. Um, have you taken that thinking anywhere further? Is there any more, any more thoughts that you can share with us on, on that line? Well, I can uh, feel free to fill in if you want, Matthias, but I can just give you briefly. I mean, there are two points to that that you mentioned. The organized play thing is something that we've been discussing, and it's something I went to Gamma trade show in Reno in, at the beginning of March, just before the, well, at least before the pandemic went, you know. Yeah. Bonkers, yeah. Really bonkers. <laughs> uh, and at that time, I talked to a lot of retailers and distributors about organized play and how to do that. It's something we've sort of looked at but never quite got around to. So this is something we like to do uh, once things return a bit more to normal because obviously yeah. organized play is primarily a retailer thing and that I think would be great to offer retailers. Basically, we, we would offer them a package of, of scenarios and stuff to play in their game stores. That, I mean, that's kind of and, and that could be content that is released there. <laughs> First and then this is released in the normal, normal, normal way. So it, it would yeah. look into options there. For the moment, it's a little bit on hold because right now, of course, uh, very few game stores are doing like that, uh, and it's probably going to take a little time before that that kind of activity returns to normal. But it's it's definitely on our radar now in a more concrete fashion than than ever before. Mm. I think just. To touch on the other part is that something we're looking very closely at right now in terms of, of I mean, the, the pandemic is also how to better support online play. That's, that's definitely something we did a compilation just to, because there's a lot done already, like resources, character sheets for Roll20 and all kinds of stuff already done by fans. So we compiled mm. that on our yeah. website with a mm. bunch of links. It's called online resources. So there you can find Simbaroom on Fantasy Grounds, you can find character sheets for Alien, you can find all kinds of stuff to help play our role-playing games online. Uh, and we're also looking into official, more official um, uh, adaptations of our games for, uh, for the online platforms as well. Uh, because we think that even though the pandemic will hopefully, you know, uh, blow over uh, the worst of it, uh, hopefully fairly soon um, I think on playing online is a growing phenomenon anyway and it's going to get an, a further push because of this so I think yeah. that's a shift that will happen uh, in any case I think we we are now focusing our attention on that we might have some concrete news to share on that uh, in the next uh, weeks or months cool cool well, that's it. Uh, I am aware, though, Matthias, I was listening to you on the uh, on your Tabletop Talk podcast uh, from Free League. You do like podcasts that give people time to speak. So is there anything else that you've been dying to say that we haven't given you time to say? Uh, nope. Excellent. <laughs> no, uh, you know, uh, always when I talk to you guys, uh, uh, it, it's easy to forget that you will air this 
and you uh -huh. get a little bit too comfortable and start talking about stuff that you really want to talk about but aren't allowed to do so so uh, i say no no <laughs> <laughs> Feel free. We, okay. we, we promise we won't broadcast it, Matthias. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, no but I'm yeah, I'm cool. I'm super happy about how how you and other guys are are, uh, and especially in, in these times, I think maybe Thomas, we should do a little bit also to uh, to highlight what what. Uh, podcasts and uh, specific shows and, and stuff that, that people can go and learn more about our games and also watch uh, actual plays and so on. Maybe we can do, do a little bit more marketing for you and other guys now that people need stuff to occupy themselves with during mm. uh, the, the isolation. Well, I, I, had, a, I, had, a, I had a crazy thought that Maybe the, the best way to do that is by example and say, uh, maybe if you, if you wanted, we could run a game for you guys online and uh, show people how it's done. That'd be great. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then you yeah. just need to decide which game of yours you'd like us to promote the most. Uh, and then we could do that. Do you, do you actually mean that you want us playing? Yeah. I'm up for that. Yeah, cool. Me too. Absolutely. Cool. Well, uh, well, let's let's talk offline and arrange something then. Yeah. Yes. Oh, excellent. Cool. Brilliant. We we though have occupied most of our podcast with this interview. I'm sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, if nobody's got anything else that they're desperate to get off their chest, then I suggest we call this to uh, its conclusion. It's been wonderful talking to you again, as always, guys. It's a real, real pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. He said sighing. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a real pleasure. No, it's always I'll, a pleasure. It's fantastic. I'll say it again. We can edit that one. Out. It's been a real pleasure talking to you guys. It's always a complete delight. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having you. us. Thank you. So, as always, an absolute delight to talk to the guys. Um, we could talk on for hours about all of the stuff that we were covering there. Um, I think the one thing I just wanted to, 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 just to remind everyone is you know, expect the announcement on the Alien starter set within the next couple of weeks. It was great seeing that um, preview of uh, most of the stuff that's going to be in the starter set, not all of it. And that artwork, I want a, uh, I, I want a version of that for my wall. That that red picture for the for the box looks absolutely epic. Again, you know, Martin Grip, uh, you can't you can't beat him. Shoot out of the park again. Yeah. 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 The number of Martin Grip posters I would have if only I'd uh, not shied away from backing the really expensive versions of each of these things. Was that the um, that was the most of the icons one, wasn't it? I bottled it at the last minute. When I'm, <laughs> and partly I'm, I'm you know I've I've got it on my book. It looks great, but yes. it could have been on the wall. It could have been on the wall. That does bring us to Coriolis. Yeah, we were challenged. Um, well, I say in my piece, so maybe we'll just listen to what I say. Hey. For a change. <laughs> For a change. Uh, yeah, one day I'm going to do a statistical analysis of all our podcasts and work out how much of them you're talking and how much of them I'm talking. And I, I suspect we'll, we'll work out rapidly that Mr. Jones, Dr. Jones, is the most loquacious, shall we say. I am not Dr. Jones <laughs> quite yet. You will be, though, won't you? 
You're not going to screw back to up the PDF. Finishing this plumbing thing, but yeah. um, but I I will I will bet you a fiver that you are the one that talks the most. I'll bet you a fiver that you are. Anyway, let's listen to you again. Listener and patron Nick Jar sent us an interesting challenge. He has been going through our blogs, cataloging all our Coriolis-related articles, and he pointed out that we have not done an article on all the factions in the Third Horizon. I said that I remembered mentioning to Dave that we still had some to do, but that he had assured me that we had done them all. Dave replied that we had done them all, all the interesting ones at least. And he was right. The only two we had not done properly were the Free League and the Consortium. Dave argues that he covered them in his piece on trade, but not in the depth that we covered most of the others. So I took it upon myself to deal with the Consortium and immediately regretted it because the Consortium are so damn boring. And they are boring because they are so endemic. They are the Third Horizon. They are the government, the administration. The bureaucrats, they are the winners, the glue that bound the horizon together and made Coriolis its centre. As it says on page 190 of the core book, the consortium and Coriolis station are one, so closely tied together that most people in the horizon can't tell them apart. And that's the problem. It's not just on Coriolis station. Asking me to get excited about the consortium is like asking a fish to get excited about water. But let's give it a go. The consortium is created from and largely controlled by families from the Zenith. Not the ones who became the Zenithian hegemony, though. These families are known as the Neo-Zenithians, more willing to work alongside and integrate with the first come. So they're not racists, which is good. And good guys are never boring, are they? Being less interested in bloodlines than their hegemonic rivals, the consortium claim to wield power through corporations rather than dynasties. Though, of course, the same family names crop up again and again as directors of and major shareholders in the corporations. But here is a pop quiz for you. Name four consortium-affiliated corporations. Go on. You can't, can you? Well, let me help. There is the Par Biosculpted Food Company and the weapons manufacturers Zor, Dial, Tilides, Vulcanor and Parnastara. Ringing any bells? Exeter? They offer cruises and tourism, apparently. Advanced manufacturing and research is the purview of those household names Soler Delecta and Nyala. Alcara makes spaceships, but does any PC group actually fly an Alcara spacecraft? And if they do, do they even care? Oh, and let's not forget the first name in Gravitics, Nomo! One could maybe build an adventure around industrial espionage or illegal research, but none of these companies are Weyland-Yutani, let's face it. Actually, there are three consortium corporations your players have heard of, but only one feels like an actual corporation, and that's The Bulletin, the Horizon-Wide Communications and Media Company. 
The other two are the Foundation, which I guess is a corporation in the old-fashioned sense, like any university. But with its public interest, education and research mission, it does not quite feel like a company. The other even has a word in its name that suggests it isn't a corporation at all, but rather a quasi-governmental organisation, and that's the Colonial Agency. What's important about these three corporations is that they each have a seat on the Council of Factions, ensuring the consortium's heavy influence on that body, but also possibly making them almost factions in their own right. Playable factions? I'm not so sure. While it's interesting to think that the faction standing talent might make you a mover and shaker in the bulletin, the foundation or the agency, it's only the latter two that to my mind, hold any potential fun for the players. While you might enjoy the concept of an investigative journalist reporting for the Bulletin, you should remember that the Bulletin is a mouthpiece of the establishment, a media organisation that does not speak truth to power, as the Fourth Estate should, but lies to the people on behalf of the Council. And no, you're not going to crush it from the inside because it controls not just the message, but also the means of communication, the relay stations and probes that communicate through portals. Now, any journalism campaign has got to be about underground publications and pirate channels, not being the media lapdogs of the state. At a push, it might be fun to play a team whose job it is to cover up for mysterious incidents and make up mundane stories that explain away strange happenings. But it would be a push. And that seems to better suit the colonial agency anyway. A foundation campaign or adventure might be fun. Investigating portal builder archaeology like a space Indiana Jones, but with the agents of the hegemony filling in for the Nazis. That could work. And then there is the colonial agency, who many first come might consider to be as bad as a Zenithian hegemony anyhow. If you want to play colonists, making a life for themselves in a hostile environment and learning to get along with the natives, and importantly, you really don't want to play the alien RPG, then the agency might be the way to go. Or you could play the agency as a sort of mixed-up Starfleet, in a Star Trek-style mission to explore strange new worlds. The only problem is there are not many new worlds left to explore. Which brings us, I think, to the best opportunity for role-playing in the Consortium. That lies in the phrase at the top of the core book's entry on the Consortium, Expansion is life. The secret of making the Consortium interesting lies in its antithesis. Expansion is slowing to a halt. If the consortium can no longer grow, it faces an inevitable decline into entropy and death. There is a great group concept in the idea that PCs are the good guys, defending the consortium and everything it has built from the forces of evil, which includes pretty much everyone else. Uppity first come, hegemonic Nazis, religious fundamentalists from Zalos, piratical free-leaguers and nomads, never mind spoilers from beyond the horizon. If the players can get invested in the idea that the consortium is a force for good, excusing the occasional mistakes that the colonial agency has made on the way, 
If they can appreciate the horizon as we know it is a delicate construction of the consortium, which would crumble at any moment, if not for their diligent efforts, then at last the consortium becomes interesting. So I think you're being a bit harsh on the poor old consortium by calling it boring, Matt. I think that was, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's... Um, uh, I kind of I take your I take your point that maybe it's on the face of it it's not so multi-layered as as some of the other ones have proven to be perhaps but um, I think there are some things in here that I read ideas that I really like I think the idea of uh, you know a foundation campaign where you're basically the Coriolis version of Indiana Jones. I like that. I think that could have a lot of legs. And the, well, of the... course, because that was my idea, but it's not one that comes out of the book. I mean, uh, the key thing I think the difference. Oh no, between... no, no, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. But I think the thing, the thing that we always do is we take the text and we we work on it and we come up with other ideas. We do that with all of them. So I, yes, your idea absolutely yes, great. Yeah. But again, I think it's drawing on the source material led you to that thought. But it was you, remember, that said. Oh, we've done all the factions, at least the interesting ones, which is means that by <laughs> by implication, you're the first person to call them boring. I That's think that was <laughs> that was a throwaway comment. I'm sure. <laughs> <It wasn't> <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, to I, think I have um, I have corrected you on that regard, um, but uh, but yeah, I think I, the word I didn't use, and I wish I had now, uh, and maybe I'll change it when I put it up on the blog, is pervasive. Because the, yeah. the consortium is so pervasive, it is like describing water or air to us mammals. Uh, it's just everywhere, and therefore, um, you know, I think one is inclined to dismiss it as just this is the world in which we work, the world of the um, consortium. But you're right. If you burrow down to the foundation i think there's some fabulous um uh indiana jones style uh portal mm. builder hunting um shenanigans well, to be had there well, well obviously when i when i did the trade in the third horizon piece which uh is available on the free league workshop if anybody wants to go and have a look at it that focused very much on on a consortium um but not as a faction but kind of as a like you say as that all pervasive thing and i think the the angle i came from was that the consortium was just using economic power to get what it wanted, and you've, you know, gone a level, you know, you've gone deeper than that. Um, yeah. You know, and there's more things. So I, I love the idea of the foundation doing uh, that kind of uh, archaeology portal, um, the uh, the portal builders sort of exploration kind of thing. I also like the idea. Um, you know, of the consortium being a force for good in some sense, and when I was listening, it it, it struck me that is there a is there a, a campaign here where the consortium and Alarms Temple kind of combine to do something? There's you know there's mm. something that that needs to be dealt with, and the two join forces to uh, you know to resolve whatever that big problem for the Third Horizon might be. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. You know, we've um we're, we've just started playing Emissary Lost, you, me, and Tony, and uh, your character in particular is almost a Zenithian hegemonist. I mean, obviously not of a proper bloodline, so you'll never be accepted by the Nazis. You just got to bear that in mind. Um, he doesn't want to so be accepted. Far... He just he just hates the first come. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you can't be a member of the consortium if you hate the first come. You're not as you're not what we call a neo zenithian even no. if you are a new zenithian um, <laughs> You're a bit old school. Uh, but uh, actually, I was as I was writing this, I was thinking, you know, if we were wanting to have a larger group and um, have more different roles in there, then actually being a group of consortium agents of some sort discovering this conspiracy and then realizing it could shatter the consortium's um, delicate piece in the third horizon. Um, that would be really good. But I think the attitude to playing somebody from the consortium, you've got to be a little bit imperialist and you've mm. got to believe that imperialism is the right thing. And I think one of our challenges mm. as gamers is we are all of us murder hobos we are all by instinct sort of fighting against the establishment. And I think to really enjoy the consortium, you've, you've got to get into being the establishment and being like a, a British officer in a Kipling novel, for example. And we might read a Kipling novel now and go, oh, what a terrible old racist he was. But, um, but actually, hmm. you've got to have that self-belief uh, that you are helping the world along, which you can see is evident in novels like Kim and stuff like that. Maybe there's an um, interesting parallel for a campaign along with the sort of East India Company and uh, you know the, the colonization and the exploitation of India back in the Raj. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But you've got to believe that you're doing good. Not yes, that you are an invading force. I think. Well, I think a lot of people back in the day thought they were bringing you know, civilization and, and prosperity to India when actually they were exactly yeah <laughs> largely raping it. Yeah, I mean they they were definitely um taking advantage of the resources. Uh, yeah. so so yeah, with a historical perspective we can say, oh they made a lot of money from Britain out of that and they didn't particularly, you know, give the Indians decent plumbing or whatever. But but you've got to put yourself in the mindset of somebody from that time who thinks exactly you know, being the uh, word of God, exactly and doing all these great things yeah. for these poor people who really appreciate the work I'm doing. It's, it's one if of the you things. If you get into that mindset, you can play the consortium. It's one of the things that I I kind of hate the most, uh, or really gets on my goat, is people judging historical situations and people in those situations by the lights of today's moral zeitgeist and where we've yeah. where we've where we've reached. You know, the advances we've made as a species and as a society, because you can't, you cannot do mm. that because their outlook is totally different. It's totally driven by the 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 the, the, the society they grew up in, and um, things change, and you can't yeah. condemn them by our lights. You can condemn them by their lights, and a lot of the stuff that they did, uh, you know, you wouldn't want to support or endorse or encourage or do today for sure, but. You can't condemn instantly the individual because they've done something that by your lights today looks wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you if you take the consortium um, and you take some of the actions that are ascribed to the colonial agency, uh, you may well say that they've overstepped the mark. But I'm sure if you've got a proper consortium mindset, you say, well, that's a terrible mistake of management. It's not that the yeah. colonial agency are evil because we know who's evil. There's blooming Zenithian hegemonists. And the colonial agency are lovely, nice guys. And they're just they've gone a bit too far in this one circumstance. We need to manage it better next time. Yeah, they are. Yes. The um, the operative from Serenity bring, springs to mind. Making better worlds. <laughs> yes. All of them. 
better worlds. <clears throat> and yeah. um, and that cool. brings us to almost the end of this episode. We absolutely are banging on. Yes. But I want to bang on about uh, a couple more things. Um, so we had a bit of feedback, which we were hoping to fit into this episode, but we haven't got time. So next yes. time we will talk about darkness points yeah. um, and read out a letter from one of our listeners. Yeah, have we got anything else planned for next time specifically? I don't think we have yet. Um, what we, well, we need. To, well, I might we... do the free league. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, um, to, to sort of complete the set, as it were. What shall I do? I don't know. I need everything. I was thinking I should do something about things from the flood, but we already did. I already did a piece about. You've why already play, done why, why play should be playing things, things from, from the, the flood. flood. Yeah. Um, I'll have a think. If anybody's got any ideas, drop us a line on our email. Our email being feedback at effect podcast, effect, of course, but with a K dot org. Um, now, the other thing briefly, though, before we go, and I guess it didn't really fit in World of Gaming, but I do want to just say this. You've been buying a lot of dice trays recently, Dave. <laughs> I have, I have. And I've, I just, whilst we've been recording, I've had my uh, notification saying my parcel will be with me soon. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> a notification from All Rolled Up saying your parcel will be with you soon. Um, yeah, I used to diss the idea of dice trays. Um, you I, did. I never really liked them. Um, but I, you I used got, to laugh at my dice trays when I, I got did. Them out. I used to scoff at your dice trays. Um, and then I got one from when I got things from the flood. And then I got the podcast zone dice tray, which I quickly snaffled to make sure I got it before you did. Cause that's very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, we now have our own effect dice trays and I've ordered five more from all rolled up. So for a bunch of reasons, one, one, I, I felt the need for a bit of retail therapy. Two, um, I, I've just fancied some more dice trays. And three, you know, in all this horrible time, I, I just wanted to throw a bit of love in the way of uh, our friend Phil Bodelski and All Rolled Up, which is a great little company. And I thought, well, why not treat myself and spend a bit of money with them um, and hope that they're doing well uh, whilst all yeah. these horrible lockdowns going on? I mean, particularly for Phil and for many other guys from the community who aren't the big companies. Um, well, I mean, I, I, the big companies might be suffering as well, but, you know, people who make their living basically by going to conventions and selling yeah. stuff they've made, this is a really tough time because so far they can't see a convention in the near future to go to. No, so exactly. their entire business model has gone to crook. And, um, yeah, so when you told me last night, I um, well, not last night, the night before last, I put out a little tweet saying... Um, well, well done for finally being converted to the dice trade cause. <laughs> you did succeed um, there, Matt, yeah. Eventually, if I keep telling you something enough, you finally get the message. Um, but also, it was a great, as you say, to, to throw a bit of money. If you've got a bit of money, and not everybody at this time has got a bit of money to throw around, no. but if you can throw a bit of money to all those people that you'd normally see at a convention, do try and get some stuff with them for mail order. And um, and support the community so that we can all together survive this. Yeah, absolutely. And come back stronger. Good message, Matt. Well Expansion done. is life, as they say. <laughs> uh, and on that note, I think we'll stop expanding. And yes. um, unless, unless you've got anything else to say today, Matt. No, no, that's it. I'm out of words now. No, wee, that's a first. So um, it's goodbye for me. And it's goodbye from him. And may the icons bless your adventures. 
You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music, stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.